Al Jazeera Podcasts. Azar Agayev remembers the first time he ever stepped into the Herbawi factory in the occupied West Bank city of Hebron. That was in 2018. It's super old school. The, the, the machines that are there are made in the 60s. And the people who manage the factory, they're also pretty old school. And what they're weaving are kefiyas, the now iconic black and white checkered scarf. Herbawi is the last kefiya factory in all of Palestine, and one of the few left in the entire Middle East. And until recently, it was producing only a few kefiyas a month. Now, it can't keep up with demand. Agnoberti's after the scarf. After October 7th, a day that changed many things, the kefiya also changed. Today, the meaning of the kefiya and the history of the last factory making them in Palestine. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The kefiya is an often black-and-white headdress worn in the Middle East, but it comes in many different variations in different countries. The kofiya is essentially a scarf. That's Wafa Ganem, a Palestinian dress and textile historian. I am a research fellow for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, as well as a curator for the Museum of the Palestinian People. The kofiya is a square shape, if you were to lay it out. And um, often you'll see in the Palestinian iteration of the kofiya because the scarf is used in other parts of uh, Southwest Asia and North Africa. It's often black and white or red and white. And there's a checkered pattern in the center of the scarf. Wafa says that there's also a visual language on all kofiyas. And she's not alone in being fascinated by that language. Azar Agaev, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, is too. He's the U.S. distributor of the Herbawi Factory's kefiyas. I run HerbawiUSA.com for the past seven years or close to eight now. So he and Wafa walked us through what makes the Palestinian kefiya unique. The checkered pattern in the very center of the kofiya in this contemporary context symbolizes fishnets and um, Palestinian sailors in the Mediterranean Sea. The straight lines are resembling the trade routes, and it cuts through the fishnet, and it's symbolic of the routes that used to pass through Palestine. There's also the outer border of the kofiya that has a woven motif, wavy kind of motif that is uh, symbolizes olive leaves. And obviously olive trees are very resilient. They can withstand droughts and growing deserts. So that symbolic of the strength and the people of Palestine. And while this symbolism may not have historic roots, I want to acknowledge and uh, validate that the symbols in the kofiya have 
represented something much more significant to us today and that this symbolism to me is worth noting and is quite beautiful. And it shows actually a deepening of appreciation from the Palestinian diaspora in our historic dress, which I think sort of strengthens our ability to fight cultural erasure. And like Wafa said, that appreciation and its symbolism has changed over the years. But she says there are notable points in history when the kofiya held special meaning. So the kofiya specifically up until the 1920s was a men's headdress worn by the nomadic communities in historic Palestine. In the 1930s, uh, there was the Arab revolt or the Palestinian riots. And this in particular occurred under the British occupation of historic Palestine. The goal of the revolt was uh, to end the British occupation ultimately and to limit or end this kind of large-scale Jewish immigration that was happening in Palestine. And if you look at kind of old footage of the British mandate and uh, what was happening at that time as well, British mandate imposed the idea of identification and checkpoint systems during this time as well. And in order for the identity cards to be produced, they required the men to take their headdress off for the photograph. And this is kind of like a a humiliation, a form of humiliation. But Wafa says Palestinian men took that humiliation tactic as a symbol of the revolt. At that time, there was a call for the men, regardless of if they were of nomadic origin, to identify themselves, to identify what who they were by wearing the black and white checkered kofiya scarf around their neck. So I think it's really an interesting reclamation that in the Arab revolt, they chose to remove their own headscarves and put it around their neck. But this was the time when it kind of broke those societal boundaries or categories where the kofiya became a scarf worn by not just nomadic men, but by also villagers, townspeople, uh, and city people. But there was one man in particular whose political fashion choice established the kofiya as a symbol for Palestinian rights. The head of the Palestinian National Authority and chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization, Yasser So in the 1960s, of course, we know Yasser Arafat, the the leader of the PLO at the time. He would wear the kofiya every day with his celebrity sunglasses. In Hebrew, shalom. In Arabic, salam alaikum. And good evening. I mean, it was just a very much a iconic image of Palestinian liberation of that time, undoubtedly. I have uh, to ask those who used to speak about uh, human rights. Where is this human rights there in this house? Did you see the picture there? Our camps, it is our right to return back. He kind of made the kofiya this kind of central uh, feature of visual language of what it means to be Palestinian and express yourself as a Palestinian. And he, we know him to have folded in his legacy, to have folded the kofiya into the shape of historic Palestine before putting it on his head. In some areas of the world, the kofiya is actually not called kofiya. 
That's Azar again. It's associated with the name of Arafat. You know, they, they call it the Arafat scarf, basically. And his kufiya was actually from Hirbali, by the way. And it's Hirbawi, and Azar's connection to it, that allows him to take part in the Kafiyah's history. He's been with Hirbawi since 2015. We were just browsing the internet for, you know, Palestine-related stories, and we came across with the website that was selling the Palestinian Kafiyahs in Germany. Azar's relationship with the factory started by accident. And we reached out to them, um, asking if we, that, that we would like to sell them in the United States. And a month later, I think we've shipped our first box, one box of kofiyas, and it's just been going on since then, basically. But the story of Herbawi, the factory in Hebron that we know today, started with another man, far from the United States and a few decades back. The person behind uh, the factory is Yasser Herbawi, who since passed away and delegated his business to his sons. He was bringing in Syrian-made kufiyas into Palestine to sell them there. And slowly he realized that, well, you know, there's a market for it. And why not just start a factory and just do it here? So in 1961, he established a factory. And it's been going on since. And now, those same kufiyas are shipped worldwide. For someone in Palestine, a pretty small country, saying that we can distribute the, the kufiyas across, you know, from Alaska to Hawaii, that, that just sounds mind-blowing. But Palestine-made kafiyas are hard to get now. There's mass production of kafiyas overseas in places like China. There are some people making kafiyas in Jordan. Now, there, there have been a lot of uh, factories in Syria as well. But obviously that those are not around anymore, unfortunately. And yeah, Herbawi is the last factory definitely in the country. And I can safely say that at least one of the last ones in the region. After the break, how has Israel's war on Gaza impacted the Kaviyah's meaning abroad? Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI, and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. Ever since October 7th, there have been some of the largest pro-Palestine protests ever seen. And Herbawi has also seen a rise in the number of people interested in owning a kafiyah, so much so that they're hard to keep in stock. As soon as they're up again, the kafiyahs are sold out within minutes. Azar Agayev, the U.S. manufacturer of Herbawi's kafiyahs, says that interest has skyrocketed. So we definitely had a surge of, well, first of all, the visitors. One day when I was going through the statistics and I can see that instead of two, three hundred visits a day on a quiet day, we were getting like 8,000 clicks. We had a bit of stock left just before the October event started. And those got sold pretty much within two days. And we got the new stock. And yeah, within literally 12 hours, we had around 1,000 orders. 
As more people wear the keffiyeh, either to show their Palestinian heritage or show their support for Palestine, the keffiyeh has become a visible flashpoint. From attacks on individuals wearing it... The shooting of three college students has added more fear and concern about a rise in bias, discrimination, and violent attacks against Arab Americans and Muslims in the U.S. Two of them were wearing keffiyehs, and they were reportedly speaking a mixture of English and Arabic. Two government bans. Here in Berlin, all pro-Palestinian rallies are banned. Schools have banned Palestinian flags, the Palestinian headdress, the keffiyeh. Wafa, the dress historian, says this is because of how the keffiyeh has been represented. I believe that so much of this is the responsibility of uh, media and the way that they're portraying Palestinians and also ultimately the Palestinian resistance, our resistance to um, being ethnically cleansed, the use of anti-Zionism as a form of anti-Semitism, these kinds of things. I think this falsely equate any representation of Palestinian identity, um, even when we're just simply wearing a scarf, to anti-Semitism and to hatred. And for Herbawi... The tension around the kefia has come through in the form of shipping roadblocks. First of all, it was never easy to ship anything out of Palestine. Unfortunately, the Israeli government is always trying to sort of put some roadblocks. And ever since the war began, that's only been more difficult. You know, our last shipment, we, we had to jump through a lot of hoops. It was quite a trip last time. And yeah, we finally were able to smuggle them out of Palestine and ship them out. And what surprised me, though, is when our shipment came into the United States, our agents started asking for all sorts of weird uh, certificates and documents that we have never been asked before. Uh, so they would ask for a certificate of origin. You know, it's a kofia, man. It's, it's a piece of fabric, okay? It, yes, it's made in Palestine. I don't want to have any sort of conspiracy theories around it, but it's just surprising that because of the escalation, all of a sudden, everything is really, really hard. You know, like all the basic things are, are just became complicated overnight. Despite the complications, Wafa says she's grateful that more people are interested in the kafia. I wish it was under different circumstances. However, I am very glad that there is much more awareness and knowledge of what this scarf is. And I want non-Palestinians to wear this scarf only as long as they're aware of what it symbolizes and that it is Palestinian and that they are strong enough to stand up for Palestinian rights, Palestinian human rights, Palestinian freedom, and a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire, and more of a permanent solution to the Palestinian situation and our condition under occupation, and especially for the safety of our people in Gaza. For some, wearing a kafiyah is exactly how they're showing they're standing up for Palestinian rights and freedom, among other reasons. Like Lujain al-Saleh, who's a Palestinian-American in Oakland, California. It's a way for me to honor my ancestors and the fight for liberation and self-determination for all Palestinians. And Safad, 
who lives in Brooklyn in New York. When I wear my kufiya, I feel the strength of my Palestinian brothers and sisters as they continue to struggle for a free Palestine. And Ihsan, whose parents are from Jerusalem and Al-Jib. It is representative of an unwavering determination and a resilience in the face of a military occupation and colonial rule. It is something that when I wear and when many Palestinians wear, we feel a sense of pride. It is a statement to say that we are here, that we exist, and that we are not going anywhere. Those who aren't Palestinian are wearing it to show solidarity, like Brianna Smith, who is a Black American. I also wear my kafia for liberation of all peoples. Um, I wear my kafia because I don't want to see any more kids being pulled out of the rubble. And I'm sick of seeing children and innocent women and innocent men being killed. So I wear my kafia in solidarity with freedom. For Adan Deep, who was born in Jerusalem and now lives in the U.S., the kafia is many things. But most importantly, it's home. On many days when I'm feeling a little out of control or like things aren't going my way, I put my kafia on and it regrounds me in who I am, in Palestine, in my language, in my culture, in my people, and it gives me strength. And to me, that's what the kafia is. It's strength, it's resilience, and it's resistance, and above all, it's home. We asked Azar and Wafa what the kafia means to them. To me, kafia is just um, something, a piece of something that is very dear to my heart and something that I believe in, uh, that um, the, the, the Palestinian cause needs to be supported, it needs to be heard about. You know, this cannot go on forever. And Wafa says for her, the kafia is a way to connect back to her heritage. I'm a Palestinian that was born in the United States, and I feel very far away from my homeland. And this is sort of the condition of the Palestinian diaspora as a whole. The dispersion of our community feels very fragmented and separate. It also helps me express myself in this current moment and to show that I am not afraid to share who I am. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of being afraid to say that I'm Palestinian. And to me, the kofiya, it's also a rebellion to my dehumanization, to the body that I have that is being politicked right now and life and death of my people, that I will still dress it in its historic garments. I will still accept the inheritance of my culture. And to me, this is revolutionary because it does risk my safety, but it also attracts admiration and love from other people and from other Palestinians, as well as from other cultures and people who really connect with our cause for freedom. And that's The Take. You can learn more about Wafa Ghanem's work as an embroiderer and historian of Palestinian dress on Instagram at Tatriz and Tea. 
We'll drop a link in the show notes. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee, Uzaina Bezer, Sonia Bagad, David Enders, Sariel Khalili, Miranda Lynn, Shrijan Pandey, Ashish Malhotra, Nagin Auliayi, Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Joe Plord mixed this episode. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.